Pastor Ed Taylor raises our awareness to a very real spiritual attack in our day. You have feelings or you might even hear it or someone might even tell you this, which would be a shame, but someone might, you might even hear it from someone's lips. And here's the attack. You don't matter. Nobody knows who you are anyway. The guy sitting next to you really doesn't like you. She's mad at you. You saw when there was time to greeting, nobody came up to you. You don't matter. Don't come back. You're not needed. And on the list goes. And I'll tell you right now, all of that is not true. It is a spiritual attack. You are needed. You are uniquely gifted. And although you may not see it now, by faith, you believe God. This is amazing grace. Have you been watching the baseball playoffs? It sure is exciting. But imagine if one of the players bought into the notion that they're no longer needed or important and quit. It would be devastating to the team, right? Well, that sort of thing is occurring at an alarming rate in the church. You see, many Christians have believed the lie from the enemy that they're not very important or needed. And so they remain on the sidelines. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor urges us to get back into the game as he takes us to 1 Corinthians 12. Well, now that we have a handle on the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, I really believe, if you haven't already, you're going to notice the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit a lot more in your life. You're gonna to begin to see God give you a word of knowledge. It was interesting as I was praying for some of the congregation in Cairo, that we had translators, and so I was connected with a translator, and she came over and said, you know, this gal needs prayer. And I was, it was a young girl, about 18. She was there with her parents, and she was praying for a general type of prayer. And so I prayed a general type of prayer, but as I was praying, the Lord really spoke to my heart that she was hiding something. And so I told her, I, said, I told the translator, I said, after I said amen, I said, to ask her what she's hiding, just directly. And as she asked her what was hiding, you could see a release on her. She started weeping and crying, and she was holding back quite a bit in her life that we were able then not only to minister to her, but then to get the pastor involved and help her start to deal with things that are going on in her home. It doesn't matter what culture you are, the Holy Spirit is there to give you wisdom and understanding, whether it's a word of knowledge, where it's a manifestation of wisdom, where as you walk through the manifestations of the Spirit, now that you know them, and if you haven't been here, I would encourage you to pick up the studies. There are studies in Romans chapter 12 as it relates to the spiritual gifts, and then the studies we've done all throughout, one by one, we looked at the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So you'll recognize the sufficiency of the Lord in your life, His Spirit among us, teaching us, leading us, helping us, guiding us, comforting us. And I want you to know, I believe it's from the Lord. You, you and I can grasp this, that living out our Christian life, living life as believers, is not by our own efforts. Some of you are simply exhausted trying to live the Christian life. And I want to let you off the hook. 
You can't live the Christian life. There is no Christian life to live. It is the very life of the Holy Spirit of Jesus lived through you. When you begin to use the vocabulary, hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm trying. Well, that's just another way of saying you're not accomplishing. Let me show you something in John chapter 15 so you understand this freedom that's yours and mine. Here's the key, guys. This is it. Living the Christian life, as we put those in quotes, isn't by our own efforts, our efforts to try harder, to do more, but rather living a Christian life comes by the yielding and the abiding presence of Jesus in your life. Giving up and abiding in him. Notice this in John 15, Jesus gives us the key. Here it is. For the restless, for the struggling, for the ones battling, for the ones right now. If I ask you, how are you doing? Well, I'm trying, Ed, I'm trying. Okay, for all of those that would use that vocabulary, listen to Jesus when he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. How we love the pruning process, right? <laughs> not. But pruning is very important. God uses it to bring forth more fruit. That's what he says in verse 2, that it may bear more fruit. And you go, hey, pastor, I'm ready to bear more fruit. All right, here comes the pruning shears. Coming along to develop and strengthen. You are already clean, verse 3, because of the word I've spoken to you. Here's the key, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, what does your Bible say? Cannot. That's an emphatic word in the English and in the Greek. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. I guess another way of saying that is the branch, yet you and I, we got the vine, the vine dresser, where are the branches? The branch cannot bear fruit by trying to bear fruit. That's the language we can understand. The branch can't, by, by trying harder and developing a, Good spiritual disciplines and habits, that's not how you bear fruit. The way you bear fruit is abiding, resting at home in the Lord, peacefully trusting. The problem that we often find in the church is the attempt to force fruit activity with no spiritual involvement so that we appear very, very busy producing fruit that isn't from the Lord. We want to be very careful to abide. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And those are difficult words for our self-sufficient world. For the world that says, you can, just do it. Be all that you can be. Those are hard words. Those that think that they can do it on their own. Those that might even hear Jesus and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think I'm doing a good job. Those that are determined to prove everyone wrong. You know, you can live your life in such a way where you've always been put down, you've always been put down, and one day you wake up to the understanding that you are valuable in the Lord. Are you just, even apart from your spiritual life, just one day you just find that, you know what, I'm tired of being put down, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not what they say I am. I'm going to prove the world wrong. And that becomes your motivator. You're going to prove everybody wrong. And never have that abiding presence. You've done a good job of proving everybody wrong, but you've disconnected yourself from your life source. God's heart's not for you to prove everyone wrong. God's heart's for you just to relax. 
and enjoy Jesus in your life. Those of you that tend to live your Christian life based on works, accomplishments, performance. You know, there are churches, there are families of believers that I believe are truly believers, but they're in bondage to legalism. And everything about their church is about performance. How much money is given? How many people are there? How many people are in Sunday school? What have you done for the Lord? How many doors have you knocked on? How many chapters have you read? How many hours have you prayed? And if you have a bad week, (laughs) oh boy, watch out. Because you'll never measure up and you can never catch up when you have bad weeks. You never seem to be able to measure up because you can never perform to the place where you're satisfied. I'm reminded of my kids as they were growing up. Each one of them came to a place where they didn't want my help anymore. You know, simple things like putting on their shoes. You could see they're struggling with it. You go, hey, can I, can I come help you? Oh, no, 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 I can do it on my own. And then you watch them and they struggle and I don't need your help. And you watch them and they struggle and no, 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 I'm all right. Because there's something in them that want, I know how to do it. They're just not able to you know, over, under, around, and through, or the bunny, you know, whatever. However you taught your kids. And it's finally to the point where you could see they weren't doing it, and they finally gave up and said, you know, Dad, I need your help. And of course, you know, after you're done slapping them around, no, you don't slap them around. You just, yeah, I've been asking, you know, we've been sitting here for four hours waiting for you. Let's just do it. And there was that reaction of coming to that place where you're confident, you know how to do it, you know what there is, but there is not an ability to perform, and you finally just throw your hands up and say, yeah, you know, Abba, Father, I need your help. Something so simple. Something so easy. You know, if they would have, in those early days, would have let me tie their shoes, I would have not only tied their shoes, but showed them how to do it again and showed them the love through that. But there's always in our kids, there's, there's that point where they want to step up and where we need to allow that and let them move forward to the point where they come to, their, to the end of themselves and they're always there to rescue. And then something happened with kids, some mom somewhere invented Velcro shoes and then that illustration doesn't work anymore. You're like, <laughs> kids can put on Velcro shoes, no problem. But kids even found some tricks. They left their shoes tied. Just slip them off and put them back on. I wonder how often that's how you are with the Lord. You finally got it all worked, and, and you're, that's it. I'm just going to, I'm not going to untie my shoes. I don't, I, I, it took me too long to tie them. I, I'm, I'm not going to cry out for help because I've already figured it out. And then you become self-sufficient, self-dependent. You think you're pulling something over on the Lord, but there's going to come that point in time where God calls you out to cry out to him again to trust him. When you look at your life in the Lord, when you look at your relationship with Jesus, I think the appropriate picture is a garden, not a factory. It's not a factory of production. It's a garden of a process. We're left untended in that garden. Plants will begin to die and weeds will begin to thrive. Any gardener will tell you, if they don't go and take care of the plants at just the right temperature and dirt and chemical, all the things, if they don't take care of the plants, the weeds will soon overcome them. And I don't know what's up with weeds. You don't have to do anything with weeds. They just grow and grow and grow and take over. Christian life's a lot like that. You need to cultivate your relationship. Feed it. Develop it. 
In order to grow fruit, the garden needs to be cared for. Even in order to see fruit from your life, your life needs to be cared for. You can't just be feeding your life all kinds of junk through the eye gate or through the ear gate and think that fruit's going to come from your life. Good fruit. Rotten fruit's going to come from your life. Rotten thoughts are going to come from your life. And when you start to have rotten thoughts, then rotten actions come from your life. You've got to be careful what you take in. You've got to be careful what you meditate on. You've got to be careful to allow fear to grip your life. You need to be careful with anxiety. You know, God has an answer for every one of those emotions, every one of those feelings. There's an answer and a strength from God to move forward and press on. But left untended, a, a, a simple fear will overwhelm you. A simple bout of anxiety will debilitate you. An errant thought of some horrible sin, if not, if left unchecked, will give birth in your life. Cultivating our lives with Jesus being the vine, and God the Father being the vine dresser, and the branches being you. With that in mind, come back now to 1 Corinthians 12. As you see, the Spirit is in your life and in my life to help us in the family. You're very important to the family of God. You're a very important branch in the vine. So key. So important. Pick up with me in verse 12 now of chapter 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. You recall earlier the church in Corinth was exhorted and rebuked by Paul because of their divisions and their carnal attempts to follow different men of God. I'm a Paul, I'm a Cephas. Everybody had a favorite pastor. Everybody had a favorite teacher. And they were so into their teachers that they would argue about it. And they, they would be, there, would be, there were schisms or they, their group would go over here and say, well, we're better than you and we'll go over here and he's a better teacher. And now Paul's taking them and saying, guys, we're all one. We're different, but we're all one body. We've all been baptized. This word just simply means to be submerged. We're all, we've all been brought into the body. There's a lot of different baptisms spoken of in the scriptures. There's the baptism of repentance in Luke chapter 7. There's the baptism of Moses as those that followed him in the Red Sea uh, in 1 Corinthians 10. Jesus promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. There's water baptism, of course. There's baptism into Jesus, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. This is a general this is being coming into the body. That's how you, you and I came into the body. It wasn't water baptism. It wasn't the baptism of the Spirit. It was that born-again experience. We were submerged into the life of Jesus. All of us. One simple survey of the room tonight, just this small section of the body of Jesus here at Calvary, even a smaller section here on a Wednesday night of the body the family here at Calvary, one simple survey of the room will tell you one thing. There are many different people here from many different walks of life. And we all share unity in Jesus. Very different, very different upbringings, very different personalities, very different looks. If you saw what I saw, see right now, very, some of you have a lot of hair, some of you. (laughs) Missing. Some of you are younger. Some of you are 
Not so young. Some of you are male. Some of you are female. Some of you are happy. Some of you are sad. Some of you are doing well in life right now. Some of you are not. Some of you have been very well educated. Some of you barely made it through kindergarten. <laughs> it's like you just barely made it through. Some of you are very studious. Some of you don't like to read at all. Some of you are very athletic, and some of you are not. Very diverse. Very different. Not how I believe. Not how we would arrange a group. Generally, if you're arranging a group, you're going to generally look for people like you. People that think like you. People that see the world like you do. People, you, you, after all, you don't want conflict. You don't want to be arguing all the time. You generally want people to see. That's not how Je Jesus takes people from every walk of life. I believe Jesus loves to take the people that we would write off and say, guess what? Hey, look on the other side of the room. I love that guy. I know you wrote him off, but I love him. And look, he's sitting in the same room as you. Your first response is, what? You know, one of the surprises in heaven is all the people. You're going to go, whoa, you made it? <laughs> like, whoa, man, I should have shared the gospel. I don't get to share in that. How'd you get here? Well, you know, you, were, you told me to read the Bible, and I finally read it. Wow. Why didn't you ever tell me? I'm telling you now. Here we are in heaven. One of the surprises of all the people that will blow your mind, let alone you see them in church. Think about seeing them in eternity. For some, what's going to blow our mind is that we're in heaven. He's going to stand there and go, wow. Like, that was true. Everything about, you, everything about what the word, that was true, man. God's grace is real. My life really was changed. Some of you are plagued with doubts on your salvation all the time. And I want you to know there is assurance by faith in Jesus Christ. You can know that you know you are saved by faith. You can know it. You, you can leave here with the assurance that Jesus has paid the price for your sins. He has done the work. If you live in a performance-based life, then you're never going to perform good enough. Every failure of your life is going to bring doubts into your life of whether you really love Jesus or not. But I love what John said when he wrote his gospel, or when he wrote his letter, his first letter. He said, even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. You know what he's saying there? And he's saying, even when you aren't feeling like you're right with God. God's greater than your feelings. He's greater than what you're feeling right now. You can have assurance in the Lord. Jesus has paid the price for your sins. And you're a part of the body. You're a very important part of the body. In verse 14 it says, for in fact the body's not one member but many. If the foot should say, can you imagine your foot just starting to talk? Because I am not a hand. I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? What's the answer? No, you can write it down. These are all rhetorical questions. He uses a lot of them in this chapter. I have it written down just so I remember. No, of course not. It doesn't matter what the foot says. It is part of the body. You might have to take your shoe off to hear it, but it is a part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And the answer is no. If the whole body were an eye, <laughs> what a trip that would be. Where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now, verse 18, God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Just like he gives the manifestations of the Spirit. Just like the gifts of the Spirit. It's all as he pleases. And he's going to get to a moment where you start comparing yourself with one another. You are in the body the way God wants you in the body. You're, that's your place. 
If we were all one member, verse 19, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. One of the biggest attacks on believers in the church, whether you're in a church of 10 people, 50 people, 100 people, a church of 5,000 or 10,000, this attack is very similar. It's a personal attack on believers. And the attack sounds something like this. You have feelings or you might even hear it or someone might even tell you this, which would be a shame, but someone might, you might even hear it from someone's lips. And here's the attack. You don't matter. Nobody knows who you are anyway. The guy sitting next to you really doesn't like you. She's mad at you. You saw when there was time to greeting, nobody came up to you. You don't matter. Don't come back. You're not needed. And on the list goes. And I'll tell you right now, all of that is not true. It is a spiritual attack. You are needed. You are uniquely gifted. And although you may not see it now, by faith, you believe God. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, as we closed, you pointed out an attack many of us are all too familiar with, and that is the thought that we're not needed or don't matter. That sort of thing can be crippling and keep a believer from serving the Lord and being effective. You've touched on this in a book you've written called Ordinary Servant. Isn't that right? You're right, Larry. We produced a book not too long ago uh, called Ordinary Servant. And it's in written form what I delivered here at Calvary Aurora in the form of Bible studies on a series on how to serve the Lord. And it's, this, this is the key. N- not only will God use you, but God wants to use you. And I think we need to remember both. You were saved with a divine purpose for the body of Christ and for a lost and dying world. And he uses ordinary people like you and me And I know some of you might be listening and go, well, wait a minute, Pastor Ed, you're a pastor and you teach the Bible and you're even on the radio teaching me right now. You must be in a different category than me. And I just want you to know and remind you, I am not in a different category than you. I am very much an ordinary man uh, that is being used by an extraordinary God. And I'm shocked and surprised over and over again at the grace of God in my life. I do not deserve this. And as a friend of mine, Pastor Jim Stewart from Calvary Chapel in Kansas City has said, and I, I, I'm adopting it into my own life, God owes me nothing. I love him with my life, and he has done great and amazing, abounding grace things in my life. And yes, God can use me. He can use you. You know, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is writing, and he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I have found no greater description of my life in serving Jesus Christ than being a foolish thing that God has chosen to use for his own purpose. And so I would encourage you to pick up the book. It's a a great resource to have. It's a very simple reading, very encouraging, very helpful as you begin to walk toward submitting yourself to being used by God and serving him with the entirety of your life. If you'd like to order a copy of Ordinary Servant by Pastor Ed Taylor, please visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, request a CD copy for $2. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. I'll repeat that in just a second. You'll also find Pastor Ed's teachings at calvaryaurora.org. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. 
Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryaurora.org. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Gene Edwards' book, A Tale of Three Kings. Join the thousands who have been touched by this wonderful story of three kings from the Bible. It's especially helpful if you're experiencing pain or loss because of something someone did to you. Maybe you're in a clash with another Christian, or you've been damaged by a church split. Get a copy of A Tale of Three Kings today. I know you'll be encouraged. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryaurora.org. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Word of God. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora, Colorado.